I want to just tell you a little quick story about um, something that took place because of World War II. So in World War II, you know, um, we got involved in the conflict in the, the Pacific. And so Japan was trying to rule the Pacific part of the world. And so, the, you know, all that stuff took place, and Japan invaded a bunch of islands uh, in the Philippines, and the U.S. took those islands back. And in February 1945, Lubang Island in the Philippines was overrun by the United States. And every one of the Japanese soldiers was either killed or captured except for one guy. And he hung out in the jungle and evaded the U.S. soldiers and Marines. And even after the war was over, he wouldn't believe that the war was over. He hung out and hid in the jungles for 29 years after the war was over because he was convinced they were trying to trick him into surrendering when his marching orders were that you never give up your post until you receive specific order enabling you to relieve your post. And since he had not received those specific orders, he would not surrender. So in 1974, the Japanese government sent its commanding officer to Lubang to order this lieutenant to surrender. When the lieutenant stepped out of the jungle to accept the order, he did so in his dress uniform, his sword, with his rifle still in operating condition. Even in surrender, he maintained his discipline and retained his honor. Surrender. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of the word surrender. You might... You might come and associate the idea of giving up or giving in to relinquish power, control, or possession to, to another. You might think it is like maybe quitting. You have to quit or you concede or you forfeit on some level or issue or idea. And the interesting part of being a Christ follower is that we will never know the full extent of who Christ is and who we are in Christ and what it means to live in holiness until we surrender fully to God. So, if you haven't picked it up yet, we're talking about surrender this morning. I can see you're really excited about that. <laughs> Yahoo, right? Well, Jesus had some... Here's the really kind of interesting thing. When it talks about in the Bible about surrendering our heart, surrendering our will, surrendering ourselves to God, it's never done overtly. It's more implied than it is directly told. It's not a direct command, it's implied. And here's how Jesus implied that we need to surrender our lives to him, found in the Gospel of Mark. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross... And follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? 
Jesus, Jesus is really getting after us a little bit here. Because what he's done is he's, he's drawn the line in the sand because there were a bunch of people at this time who were following Jesus and they really, I mean, who wouldn't want to follow Jesus? I mean, you go out and you watch him heal a bunch of people. He casts demons out of people. If you're, if you're there on the right day, he's going to raise someone from the dead. That's going to be really exciting. And then he'll have you sit down and you're there with like, you know, 10,000 of your closest relatives. And he feeds you. What's not to like about Jesus, right? And so Jesus is going like, whoa, 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 whoa. So Jesus gives two talks. The pick up your instrument of death talk and eat my flesh and drink my blood talk, which doesn't bring in a lot of people who are going to go like, yeah, sign me up for that. I want to walk around with an instrument of death on my shoulder all day long because that's really cool. We do it now. We wear, How many are wearing a cross of some kind or another Right now, put your hand up. Okay. See, we've, we've changed the idea about the cross. Instead of being an instrument of death, it is now something that we look at and we admire. Back in Jesus' day, it was like, mm, yeah, just strap an electric chair to my back and let me walk around with it for a while and see what people think. But Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, if you want to come after me, if you want to know what it what it means to really be my disciple, if you want to really surrender your life, if you want to walk in the fullness of who I am, if you really want to know me at a deeper level, then pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Give, give everything you are, everything you have, give everything, every ounce of who you are to me, and then you'll be by... You, you will really know me in the depth that, that you, I want you to know me. Now, there are different levels of surrender, all of which affect our relationship with God. The initial surrender that we make is when we hear God calling our name, and it's to come into a relationship where we, we say, I'm a sinner, and I need your help, and we confess our sin, and we come into this relationship with Jesus Christ through the um, calling of the Holy Spirit on our life. We call that salvation. That's the first time we've surrendered. But the interesting part about being in this relationship with with God is that there are times of greater surrender during our journey with Jesus. He wants to bring us into a deeper intimacy with himself and God through the filling of the Holy Spirit. But when we're full of ourselves, there's no room for the Holy Spirit to fill us. And so what he's saying is, you've got to empty yourself of yourself in order to be filled with me. And the only way you can empty yourself is by surrendering yourself to me. Sounds like a lot of fun, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, we want to do this thing. We want to surrender. Because here's what Paul says in Galatians 2. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, not literally, figuratively speaking. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see what Paul's saying here? 
He, he's reiterating what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, pick up your cross and follow me. And Paul's saying, hang yourself on the cross, die to yourself, and live for Jesus. That's called surrender. That's giving ourselves over to Jesus. And to surrender our lives to Jesus is to relinquish control, our rights, our power, our direction, all the things that we say and do. It's totally resigning your life over to Jesus. And what you're saying is, here's my life, Jesus. Do with it as you please. You can do whatever you want. There are no strings attached. I am not going to tell you what to do with my life. There are people who, when they hear that that's what surrender means, to surrender our will to the will of Jesus, it becomes a very fearful thing for them. And you might be one of those people. You might be one of those people that are going like, I'm not sure that I really want to surrender my life to to Jesus because if I do, that means he has complete control over every aspect of my life. And I think that what he will do is he will make me miserable. I think he's going to take all the joy out of my life. He's going to take all the fun out of my life. He's going to take all the things that I've acquired over a lifetime, he's going to take all that stuff from me. He might even bring me to the place like he did with Job and bring some unhealth into my life and make me very discomfortable, not uncomfortable with what's going on. And I, I don't, I, that's, no, huh? don't sign me up for that kind of a thing because I am no Job. I do not want God to say to Satan, have you considered my servant Ken? Not a good thing. Nope, don't sign me up. Not interested. I can skate along in my life with the little bit I know about Jesus because the little bit I do know about Jesus is enough to get me by. It's enough to get me into the kingdom. It's good enough. But I will tell you one thing for sure. God never created you for you to be good enough. He created you for greatness, to do great things, to, to be in, in communion, in relationship, to walk with a great God and have a great life. And the only way you can do that is through surrender. I want you to know something. Jesus lived a surrendered life. He, he lets us, we get to see that glimpse of that in, God, uh, in John's gospel around chapter 6. This isn't on the slides. And here's what Jesus said. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He goes on to say, I don't seek my own glory. Christ never did anything on his own. He made no move and spoke no word without being instructed by the Father. Here's what he said to that effect. I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. Here's the great thing about Jesus. He is never going to ask you to do something that he's never done. He's the greatest leader that this planet has ever seen in the entire history of all mankind. Because whatever he asks of you, he's already done. Matter of fact, there are things that Jesus has done he's never going to ask you to do. Think about that for a minute. I can guarantee you he will never ask you to go hang on the cross 
and give your life for the sin of humanity. Because he did it. And he did it perfectly. And it doesn't need to be done again. But he did surrender himself um, to the Father. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, Jesus was God in flesh. I mean, that's what the Bible tells us. His life was surrendered before he even came to earth. But the surrendered life is not imposed on anyone, including Jesus. It wasn't imposed upon Jesus. Christ spoke the words as a flesh and blood man. After all, he came to earth to, uh, to live not as God, but as a human being. He experienced life the way we experience life. And like us, he has his will, his own will. And he chooses fully to surrender that will to the Father. In John chapter 10, it says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay my life down that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. In other words, what what Jesus is telling us, he says, make no mistake about it. This act of self-surrender is totally within my power. It's totally something I have chosen to do. I'm not laying my life down because some men have actually taken me, they think, into captivity and that they're going to take my life from me. They can't take it from me. I'll give it up. But they can't take it from me. I have authority to give it up. They have no authority to take it from me. And I'm doing the will of my Father. Matter of fact, he, Jesus even acknowledged that God gave him an opportunity, an out, that if he didn't want to take that cup at the cross, the cup of wrath on our behalf, he could pass it by. But Jesus, out of his love for the Father, submitted and surrendered his will to the Father's will. And what's the Father's will? The Father's will is that none should ever perish eternally. And that's why Jesus did what he did. Now, our Heavenly Father has given all of us the same right, the privilege to choose a surrendered life. No one's forced to yield his life to God. If we, you know, we've got this this relationship we're in now. And we will never know in any other relationship the depth of intimacy that we will know when we surrender our life to Christ. It will be deeper and sweeter and more meaningful than any other relationship we've ever had. Do you know that relationship? Do you know that depth of intimacy with Jesus? Deeper, sweeter, more meaningful than any relationship you know right now on this planet. We don't have to surrender. If we choose not to fully surrender, we will continue to live a life of frustration and dissatisfaction. I I can't imagine that I'm the only one on the planet or the only one in this room that 
that at times in my relationship with God, I've just felt lost. I've felt uh, like there's a cloud or a fog that has settled over me, and I can't tell up from down or right from left, right from wrong, it seems like. And, and there are those times that in those moments where I go like, what's it all worth? Why? Why is this such a big deal? The big question is, why do I even feel that way? I mean, if, if it wasn't something that I think that the Holy Spirit's stirring in my soul of dis, a holy discontent with where I'm at spiritually, the Holy Spirit produces that in my soul, this holy discontent. And the reason he does that is because God is calling me to a deeper place. And when he calls to a deeper place, he's calling for surrender of other areas in my life that I have said, no, I'm not going to surrender. This is mine. This is my area. This is my thing. God has, you don't know. I said everything except, and I meant that, except this. You can have every aspect of my life except for this one thing. And God's going like, no. You want to go deeper with me? Because I really believe that if we are in relationship with Jesus Christ, our desire, our heart is to go deeper in relationship with Christ. That's what we're talking about at why we have created these special times. Um, You know, we have the women's prayer group that's going to start up again on Mondays here in the fall. We have the Wednesday River where people can come and step into relationship with Jesus and have this deep, intimate 15 to 20 minutes of prayer time, get back up and go back to work. And then we have Rakus on Thursday nights where we're saying, come, there's the only agenda that there is at Rakus on Thursday night is the Holy Spirit coming and ministering to your soul and taking you to a deeper place. But the reason why that happens is because God's creating a stirring a holy stirring in your life that you're saying this, I am no longer content with where I'm at with Jesus. I want to have more. I want to have deeper. I want to have more meaning and I want to be filled at a level that I've never encountered before and I need the encounter with Jesus that's going to take me there. And what Jesus is saying is pick up your cross and follow me every day. The truth is, we can have as much of Christ as we want. We can go as deep with him as we choose. We can live fully by his word and direction. And the Apostle Paul, he knew this. He, he chose to follow Jesus' example of fully surrendered life. Now understand, I want to give you a little background on Paul, just in case you don't know it. Paul had been a Jesus hater, a self-righteous persecutor of Christ's followers. He, was, he literally breathed hatred toward Jesus. Christ followers. He was also a man of great self-will and ambition. Paul was well-educated, having been trained by the best teachers of his time. And he was a Pharisee among the most zealous of all Jewish re, uh, religious leaders. And from the very start of his career, Paul was on his way up, headed for success. He had the acceptance of religious order of that day. He had a clear mission with commendations from his superiors. Indeed, he had his whole life planned out, knowing exactly where he was going. And here's what drove him, is that he was confident he was in God's will. 
He thought he was doing God's work by persecuting Christ followers. And then this little thing happened. On the road to Damascus. He's traveling down the road because he, there's, there's a group of Christ followers meeting in Damascus. So he's going to go down there. He's going to bring some persecution to him. He's going to bring some back and he's going to throw them in jail in Jerusalem. He is on a mission. And on the road to Damascus, Jesus gets a hold of this man. And that's kind of our first thing that we want to go to. Is that the path of surrender begins with a God-led sense of utter helplessness. You might be like Paul before he was Paul, when he was Saul. You might be a very religious person. You have done a lot of great things under the name of Christian service for other people. You may have gone on a mission trip somewhere. You may be giving to some starving child in an orphanage somewhere around the world. You may be giving sacrificially. You may be doing marvelous things as a humanitarian. And you are doing it under the umbrella of what we would call being a Christian. Just like Paul, Saul. He was a leader. He was a religious leader, up-and-coming religious leader. And on his way to Damascus, Jesus hits him hard, knocks him to the ground and to his knees, and he is blinded by the presence of Jesus. And in that moment when he is blinded, he came to face to face with the reality of who Jesus is. And he, he's looking at what's going on, and he understands now all the stuff that he had just experienced months before. Because months before, Paul stood at Steve as stood by as Stephen was being stoned, the first martyr of the church. And I believe Paul remembered the look on Stephen's face while facing death. Stephen had a heavenly countenance, a holy presence about him. His words held such power. There were penetrating, they were penetrating and convicting. The humble man clearly cared nothing for the approval of the world. He was unimpressed with religious dignitaries, and he had no fear of death, and that rocked Saul's world. Because after all, what it did is it exposed the emptiness of Paul's life. The most devoted of Pharisees realized Stephen possessed something he didn't. Paul had come to face, to face with a fully God-surrendered man, and it made him miserable. You can imagine some of the thoughts he might have had, like, I've trained for years reading the scriptures, yet this unlearned man speaks God's word with authority. I've had a hunger for God my whole life, but Stephen has the very power of heaven, even while dying. He clearly knows God like no one I've ever encountered, yet all this time I've been hunting down him and people like him. Paul knew there was something missing from his life. He had a knowledge of God, but no firsthand revelation like Stephen's. Now on his knees trembling, he heard these words from heaven. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. 
Do you think if the manifest presence of Jesus showed up in your life like that, it would transform your life? Would you, would you be like Saul and go like, okay, what do you want from me, Jesus? What, what do you want me to do, Jesus? Because that's, that's really where what, what's going on here is, is Jesus is taking Paul to the lowest position. He's absolutely blinded. He has to be held by the hand and led into Damascus to a, uh, a man's house to where he is going to now have to wait upon God. And for three days, he cried out. He poured his heart out. He prayed to God for direction, for understanding, for guidance, for something. And God restored his sight by a Christian, by a Christ follower, who said to him, now go and do what Christ has called you to do. And he went with full abandonment to follow Jesus. I want you to take note of this scene that he has here. This scene of of where he understands the whole point of what Jesus is doing, bringing him to the point of surrender. Here's the pattern for that surrendered life. When you decide to go deeper with Christ, God will put a Stephen into your path. He'll confront you with someone whose countenance shines with Jesus. This person isn't interested in the things of this world. He doesn't care about the applause of man. He cares only about pleasing Jesus. And his life will expose your complacency and, and compromise. And that will be deeply convicting. And you will be like Paul. You will suddenly feel your spiritual bankruptcy. You will re- realize that no matter how many godly labors you've pursued, you've missed Jesus. And you'll end up in a blind alley, dumbfounded, directionless, unable to make sense of, past, of all past revelation. But it will be God's doing. He'll bring you to this place of utter hopelessness so you know what it means to surrender. You won't need Jesus until Jesus is all you have. You won't need Jesus until Jesus is all you have. We also know that the path of surrender leads to suffering. You are really glad you came today, aren't you? Now, I, I, I wouldn't be a very good pastor if I didn't tell you that. If I just kind of left this whole thing of if you're going to surrender your life, there will be some suffering involved, and you didn't know that, and then all of a sudden it came about that you surrendered your life and you went through some suffering, you'd be looking at me and going like, why didn't you tell me? And I might use the phase my dad used on some things that I thought he should have told me. And he said to me when I said, why didn't you tell me this was going to happen? He says, there are some things in life you have to experience for yourself. I want to prepare you. I don't want you to be caught off guard. I don't want you to be dumbfounded and going like, wait a minute. This is not what I signed up for. I want you to know what you're signing up for if you decide that surrender of your life is something God's calling you to, and it will lead to suffering. Now, 
let me reassure you of something. You're going to suffer one way or another. It's part of the human condition, just in case. Hey, if you haven't suffered something in life yet, then you must be like 10 or 12. Because I can tell you one thing guaranteed for sure. There are three things that we are all going to have to deal with. Taxes, (laughs) suffering, and death. You can't avoid them. So the point really is, is that in our suffering, it's, it's going to, you know, you can suffer, and it's either going to be through surrender, or it's just going to be because it's something you're doing on your own. And maybe this is the whole thing that's keeping you from surrendering to Jesus. Maybe this whole idea of suffering is going like, yep, you know, that's the one part I do not want to have to deal with if I surrender to Jesus. And the subject of suffering is broad, including many different kinds of pain. There's physical agony, mental anguish, emotional distress, and spiritual pain. And according to Scripture, Paul experienced uh, every one of these. He suffered a thorn in the flesh, shipwrecks, stonings, beatings, robberies. He faced rejection, mockery, malice, gossip. He endured persecutions of all kinds. And at times he felt lost, confused, and unable to hear from God. So why would anybody want to suffer? Why would anybody want to surrender if that's the suffering that we're going to have to go through? Because I will tell you why. Because you either suffer in deep relationship with Christ or you suffer all alone. And, and God's going like, you don't have to be alone in your suffering. I understand suffering. I, Jesus says, I know all about suffering because I have suffered in the process of getting to this place. And we go like, but you don't understand my suffering. And Jesus goes, oh, yeah, I do. No, there isn't anything that you suffer that Jesus did not suffer. And so when he's leading us into that, he's he's saying, look, you're going to suffer, but it's going to be good. It's going to be really good for you. And you're going like, no, I don't. Anybody here ever have a really bad tooth? Okay, so I'm the only one that's lost teeth because they're bad? Oh, there. Thanks, Phil. Back in the back, Phil. Yep. All right, listen. I've had teeth that have bothered me so badly. Like, it it usually kind of does this. Friday at about 5 o'clock when the dentist office is closed, all of a sudden your tooth explodes, and you just, what you want to do is you want to go get the biggest pair of pliers you've got in the garage and go into the bathroom and grab that sucker and yank it out because it is causing you so much pain. I mean, you can't even think straight. And your wife says to you, would you, hey, honey, would you like a little supper? Well, of course I want supper. <laughs> but nothing I have to chew. And she's like, we need to do an exorcism or something. Something happened. Bad. Not that I've ever done that. But what happens is, is that you finally get an appointment with the dentist. You go into the dentist because it's a week later now and you've suffered for a whole week 
with this toothache that's just killing you. You're, you're crying. You can't even you can't work. You, you can't you can't even watch television. It hurts so bad. That's really bad. And so you finally get into the dentist, and you know that there is going to be pain in this suffering to fix what is wrong. That's what Jesus does. He takes care of the pain of your life through suffering. Now, I I want you to know something. That over the last 27 years, Lorinda and I have been in ministry together as a husband and wife with our family. And I'm going to tell you that being a pastor isn't any different than anybody else. We have suffered in the last 27 years. Let me, I'm just going to give you a snapshot on a few things. Most of our suffering has come through relationally. We've suffered in other ways too, but relationally, because think about it. You may be in an area where you have a choice to be with your parents or not be with your parents. When God calls us to a place, now we're hours and hours away from, from family. Grandparents don't come for high school graduations or special birthday parties. Grandparents and siblings aren't there to celebrate the big things of life with you. They, they don't get to come, and we didn't have grandparents there when our children were born. We didn't have them welcoming us home with our new babies into the, home, into the house. We didn't have grandparents that would come and take care of our kids so that we could go on a a date, a getaway. I know a lot of you have moved. I mean, okay. You either get tricked into moving to Lander. <laughs> you know, someone said, hey, come, we got this great job in Lander. It's beautiful. They show you all the pictures of everything. You're going like, who wouldn't want to live there? And then you get here, and you realize that it's like two and a half hours away to go to Target. (laughs) And you're going, hey, someone tricked me. That wasn't nice. And so you're here without family as well. And you know what it's like. That's a form of suffering because you don't have family. Lorinda and I have done that for 27 years as Pastor and wife, we have not had our parents. Even the hard part is when my parents passed away. I wasn't like my brothers right there at the bedside when my mom died. I wasn't there. I was there three weeks before she died, and I came in after she passed away. I didn't get to hold her hand as Jesus ushered her out of this world into the next. We had made plans to go see my dad, but we kind of put him on hold because we had some other things that we needed to deal with before we went to see my dad. And then I get the phone call during a board meeting that my dad, his heart just quit working, and he went to be with Jesus. And, and the plans we had of wish we would have gone were going like, oh, not going to happen now. And so there are those kind of things. Those are just some things that happen. When you say yes to Jesus, we're going to suffer something. And if you enter the path of full surrender, you will suffer much more 
than the average Christian. Because Jesus is going to ask of you things that the average nominal Christian says, I'm not interested in that stuff. Don't bother me with that stuff. All I want to do is I want to show up on Sunday and have the preacher preach a feel-good message, which I'm doing right now, if you recognize that, <laughs> so that I can go home and feel really good about myself for seven day, six days and come back on the seventh day and get my tank refilled, refilled on the feel-good. That's what people do who are not surrendered to Christ. 2 Corinthians 1 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you will experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffered. In other words, what happens is, is that as we surrender to Christ and we go through sufferings with Jesus, what Jesus says to us is, I know this isn't pleasant right now, but I'm going to tell you something. I will never waste the pain in your life. I will use that for my glory at some point. But if you don't surrender, you won't know it. You won't know the joy of taking what you have suffered and bringing that to the comfort of someone else who is suffering. The path of surrender leads to a single ambition. In Philippians 3.8, Paul wrote this about his single ambition. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's ways of making us right with himself depends on faith. What he is saying is, is that I am going to throw all, everything that I could gain in this world, all the riches, all the fame, all the material things, everything that I think is going to make my life great, I'm going to discard it as rubbish for the one thing to gain so that I can gain Christ and become one with him. That is the singletary focus and ambition of someone who surrenders their life to, to Christ. By today's standards of success, Paul was a total failure. He didn't construct any buildings. He didn't have an organization, a 503C organization known around the world. And his methods and the methods he used were despised by other leaders. In fact, the message Paul preached 
offended large numbers of his hearers. They didn't like what he had to say. And at times he was even stoned for preaching it. And do you know what his subject was? The cross. The cross and Christ crucified. Sometimes God puts an assignment in your life that you're not really sure about. God's going to call you to do something that you are first of all going to say, I am so unqualified for that assignment. You're going to feel like Moses. Find someone else. I'm not your guy. I'm not your gal. I am not qualified. And God just smiles. He goes, that's exactly why I chose you. Because I like to take the the weak things and the, the things of this world that are kind of goofy and use those things to just magnify my glory. That's what God says. And so for me, when God called me to be a pastor preacher... It was only a miracle of God that got me to this point. I actually, when I graduated from high school, I was in a JC studying forestry because um, growing up as a preacher's kid, I soon realized that Jesus was okay, but church people were a pain in the (laughs) offering plate. And they weren't a lot of fun to be around because my dad was a preacher and I watched all the stuff he went through. And so I thought, you know what? The best thing to do is, is, is be, get into forestry and then you can go hang, up, hang out up in the woods with trees and animals. And God's like, nah, that's not going to work for you. And I'm going like, it worked really well for me. And so God brought me to the place of going to be a pastor where I I finally surrendered and said yes to what Jesus was calling me to. And in that surrender, all of a sudden I had the peace that he promised I would have in that surrender. And then he took me through the most difficult task of my life, getting a college education to do what I do. Because I will tell you that in high school, my worst classes were writing essays I write one every week. And public speaking, I do it every week. I'm horrible at it. But God, by his power, says, I'm going to take the weak thing that you think is weak, and I'm going to magnify that to bring glory to my name. And, if, and I'm telling you right now, it is only because of what God has done in my life, because I have surrendered to him, that he has brought me to the place where I'm at. Last one, the path of surrender brings contentment in wherever you are and with whatever you have. Let me ask you a question. Don't, don't raise your hand on this one. I don't want anybody. How many of you are absolutely content with all that you have right now? Don't raise your hand. I want you to think about, are you content? with what you have? Or is there a desire in your heart that you want more? Give me more. I want more, Jesus. I want more finances. I want more home. I want more land. I want more fame. I want more money in the bank. 
I want more new toys in the driveway. I want more new vehicles. I want more. Because when, when, I, when I hear people talk about the things that they, 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 they're, they're, they're striving so hard for more, it says to me that they are not content with what they've got now. And when you are surrendered to Jesus, what you have in your life, you'll be content with. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't work hard. Don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating, advocating laziness. I'm not saying just, okay, lay down in the ditch where you're at and call it good. No. You're supposed to work by the sweat of your brow. As a matter of fact, I would love it if all of you would triple your income over the next six weeks because then I know that you're, you would triple your giving to the church, right? You would do that, right? All right, whoever wins the publishing clearinghouse thing, I'm, I'm coming to your house. But you're content with what you have. And, and you know what? This is the, this is the thing that, that, that really I think people are afraid of in surrendering to God. Because they're forever looking to the future to make their life better. When in fact, the only one that will ever make your life better is Christ himself. Contentment was a huge test in Paul's life. In Philippians 4, he says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And then just shortly after that, He says this, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. Contentment. Are you you content? Are you willing to surrender your life and say, What I have, God, I am content. And if you should lead me to some other place, it's I'm not striving for that. But if you lead me to grow in finances, if you lead me, it's all for your glory. If you lead me to grow in these different areas, it's for your glory. It's for your kingdom. It's not because I'm not content. So here's a big question for us. Why surrender? All right. Uh, Okay, honestly, right? This was not the most uplifting message you've ever heard. You're probably not going like, man, I feel really good about myself right now. I can't wait until next week to find out how much better I'll feel about myself. You're probably going like, okay, so why, Patrick, can you really haven't told me why I should surrender my life to Jesus? Matter of fact, I've heard, you know, that there's going to be some suffering. I'm going to have to get knocked down on my face. I'm going I'm to have to suffer. I, I, I just, like, you've you got to help me understand this. 
because it doesn't sound like fun. And it doesn't sound like it's a path well-traveled by others. And it doesn't sound like it's a life of leisure. Well, life isn't about having fun. It's not just about having fun. If, If you don't surrender... The fun you think you're going to have turns like a bitter pill in your mouth. It's no longer fun. It's just an activity of life. And life isn't about ease and leisure. Here's why you surrender. If you want to have an intimate relationship with Jesus that is beyond anything you've ever known, so far, then there's parts of your life that God's calling you to surrender. If you want to have a greater purpose for what you're doing with your life, then when you surrender your life, God's going to give you a greater purpose, even where you're at. He's not going to take you out from where you are to give you a new purpose. He might do that, but most of the time, what he does is he clarifies why you are where you are. And you have greater purpose for doing what you're doing in a surrendered life to Jesus. And the third thing is, is that if you want to know the manifest presence of Jesus like never before, giving your life something more than that has eternal, that has earthly value, you have eternal value. You want to know it every day. Everything you do has purpose and meaning. Then surrendering to Jesus is God's call on you. The question simply is, do you want to surrender and have your life transformed or do you want to continue having a life of frustration and dissatisfaction? God's call is to you and he leaves it right there. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you, God, that we're going to step right over here right now and celebrate Jesus, what you've done for us, your surrender to the Father. Help us to see the meaning behind that for our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.